Father but by me. You can understand the exclusiveness of Jesus Christ is not you and I saying we're better than other people because we're not. It's not you and I saying my religion's better than yours because all the connotations of that are confusing. It's us accepting what we needed desperately, a Savior, and acknowledging that there is only one Savior who could pay for the penalty for my sin. And because God's no respecter of persons, he didn't just pay for my sin, he paid for yours too. And everyone else, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The gospel of Jesus Christ is exclusive about him so that it can be inclusive of anyone who will turn. And you would be surprised, some of us would be very surprised at the people in places that you'd never think the gospel is going, that it is. Places you'd never think and people you'd never think are hearing and receiving miraculously through visions, dreams, and etc., through the preaching of the gospel, through the suffering of people who are being persecuted. The gospel is going out in a much greater way than what you can see in your little world where you work or in your neighborhood. Don't have tunnel vision. Because through history, you wouldn't be sitting here if the gospel didn't work. It's no accident. And um, Romans 1 tells us that sinful human nature, which is everyone's nature, is rebellious. By, it's by nature. It's how we were born. It's what's in us by nature. It, we suppress the truth, you know? It's like trying to hold down that turkey dinner I ate last night, you know, a little slightly too much, only just slightly. But, you know... You, you pushing down what you know is true. See, we don't just believe that we believe certain things because we like what they say. When you take the Bible, you take the whole scripture and you realize that God says that he's speaking to human hearts. He's convicting people. He's revealing himself to people. And again, because he's no respecter of persons, how did I come from the point where I was saying, I don't want to hear a thing about Jesus, leave me alone, to humbling myself before Jesus? Am I better than others? Am I nobler? No way. But when God reveals himself to you, you have a choice. You have a choice to say yes or no. And we believe that he reveals himself to every person because his word declares that. That's why you're here. That's why you're saved if you're a Christian. And his Holy Spirit is still in the heart-convicting business. He's still in the business of convicting hearts. So Jesus is preparing to leave, and he's preparing his disciples for his leaving. He's in the upper room at the Passover Seder called the Last Supper, called by theologians. What he's saying here is the upper room discourse. And that means that's a fancy way to say the conversation he's having with his disciples and the things he's explaining to them. So in verse 12, we pick it up this week. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Well, this sure sounds like a green light for my Christmas list. (laughs) For me. But do you think that's what it is? First of all, you never take a few scriptures all by themselves and pull them out of context to make them say whatever 
you want. You have to read them within the context, and that's what we'll try to do here. It is challenging. It is amazing. Greater works. Well, Jesus fed multitudes, and, and Jesus healed sick people, and people who were lame and couldn't walk, and blind people made to see, and made lepers cleansed, and, and Jesus raised several people from the dead. So I've always looked at this, well, greater, it can't be greater in quality because you really couldn't do better than Jesus. I always have thought this and studied this. It's got to be quantity because the Christian's going to go everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming with signs and wonders, and that's all true. But I think there's a key to, to understanding this verse a little better. In recent months, years, whatever, he, it, those things are true, but he says... Clearly, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, excuse me, greater works you will do than these, verse 12, because I go to the Father. I think this is key right here. Because I go to the Father sheds light. Jesus is going to the Father because he's going to be sacrificed on the cross. The sacrifice is going to be accepted by the Father, proven through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Jesus is going to rise, appear to his disciples. Then he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father where he ever lives, lives on and on, being our intercession, giving us righteousness in the eyes of God because he became sin for us, paid for our sin, and now we're the righteousness of God in Christ. Salvation is purchased for us. Listen, every single person Jesus healed in all the stories of the Gospels, whatever happened to them afterwards? I'll tell you. I know you're wondering. They died. (laughs) Eventually, every person Jesus healed died. Eventually, every person, and there was only a few that are recorded, he actually raised from the dead. The, man, the young man with his mother was by him, Lazarus from the tomb. Guess what? They all died later. He didn't raise them into eternal life. He didn't heal them into eternal life. He did signs and wonders and miracles proving who he was, that he is going to be the one to rise from the dead eternally and deliver us to have eternal life. This is all about salvation in this moment, though the other things do apply. At Pentecost, 3,000 are saved. They're born again. Soon after that, 5,000 come to Jesus, the resurrected, ascended Jesus who sent his Holy Spirit. And on it goes. You see, Jesus said of John the Baptist, he said, of all the prophets that ever lived, he means Elijah, Moses, Jeremiah, you name it, John the Baptist is the greatest. That's Jesus' words. It's not, it's not my opinion. That's what Jesus said. And by the way, about John, they said, John did not one miracle, but everything he said about Jesus is true. He pointed people to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. Jesus says, John's the greatest of all the prophets, but he that is least in the kingdom is greater than John. What does it mean to be in the kingdom? John wasn't, must not have been in the kingdom yet, Right? Yeah, because he's in a place of waiting until Jesus dies, pays for our sin, rises from the dead, and then sends the Holy Spirit. And captives are set free, as it tells us in Ephesians, and the gospel is preached, and salvation has been purchased and given to humans. We're in the kingdom if we're born again. We're in the kingdom. There's, There's The new thing, the new covenant is completed through Jesus Christ, not through the Old Testament. It's a picture. It's pointing us. So even John is still on the cusp 
of the New Testament, but he's not in it until it happens. So, he that's least in the kingdom is greater. For further reference to this in your bulletin, I have two. Uh, in your bulletin, on your cover, it says, where Jesus sent out his disciples while he was walking on the earth by twos for a season to have them go heal the sick and do miracles and preach his coming of the kingdom. And he says, behold, I, they said, Lord, we, they came back and they said, Lord, we could, you know, demons were, had to submit to us. We were, we were overwhelmed with your power in our lives. And, and he says, well, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So in other words, that's great, guys. Don't get hung up about that stuff. Focus on what's really important. Why should you be happy? Because you've seen my power work through your life? Well, you can be happy about that, but there's something even greater going on. Your names are written in heaven. He was pointing them to the work of salvation. So it's on Jesus' mind. But then he says, and whatever you ask in my name, that I'll do. And John, who's writing this for us here, and it's also it's in Mark. John is writing this for us. And John, later in his life, he remembers these words, or they're brought to his remembrance by the Holy Spirit. Because he writes in 1 John 3.22, he says, Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. And that's coming up next. He heard that too. It's coming up. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So here's the thing. John remembers this. John believes this. So now let's walk through the scriptures a little bit about this. In Acts chapter 12, there's three guys who are kind of prominent of the disciples. Who are they? Peter and James and John. They're like the top three closest friends. They go to the Mount of Transfiguration. They go, and we'll get there in a few minutes, too, to the garden with Jesus. So these three guys are are pretty important in the kingdom and the work that Jesus is doing. And John's brother, James, not the James who writes the book of James. That's Jesus' half-brother, a different James. John's brother, James, is leading in the church, helping in the church with John and Peter and the rest, And Herod takes James and puts him in jail and then quickly beheads him, kills him, martyrs him. And the church grieves over this. Now, do you think that they were praying for James? Lord, we pray for James. Release him. Do you think they were praying for James? Yeah. I'm pretty sure they were because then when Herod sees that the, the, the common people and the Jewish leaders were very happy that he killed one of these disciples, apostles. He grabs Peter next. And he puts Peter in jail, and he's going to behead him the next day. And there's a prayer meeting going on. You can read it in Acts chapter 12. And Peter is really nervous about being beheaded because he's sleeping so soundly, sawing logs, because you know what? He's already dead to himself. He's alive to God. He's already free, even though he's in chains, because he belongs to Jesus. And he's already at peace, because he knows his purpose and his destiny. So Peter's just mellowing out there, sleeping. And when you can just snore publicly, but when you're teaching the Bible. So anyway, he's, he's there sleeping, and an angel, they're praying for him, and an angel comes and has to slap his face and wake him up. And the angel's trying to get his attention, and Peter thinks he's in a dream. He doesn't really real, he's not like worried about it, but then all of a sudden he finds himself outside, 
oh, I guess it's not a dream. And he goes to the house where he knows there's a prayer meeting where the people gather to pray usually. And that girl, Rhoda, sees him and freaks out and runs away without opening the gate and says, Peter, I just saw him. And they said, no, it wasn't Peter. It must have been his angel. He's in jail. And they're praying for his release. But <laughs> so I don't know if they heard Jesus. If you ask in my name, it'll be done. <laughs> because they're not so sure. And in fact, it's weird that they don't go at least to see the ghost. Because if they thought it was a ghost, wouldn't you want to see that too? So anyway, it's kind of just one of those funny stories that really happened because it's not made like a story. It's, it's things happen that you don't really understand because that's what happened. Anyway, Peter is released and set free. James is killed. The prayers are not answered the way you'd think. Peter's released exactly as you'd hope would happen. But after that, thousands are killed for the name of Christ. In Jerusalem and then beyond as the persecution goes on. All this tells us clearly. These verses do not say you can just pray every bad thing away. You know it doesn't mean that. It must mean that you can pray every bad thing away and pray every good thing in and it'll just happen. That you can use Jesus' name like a magic wand to get what you want. Does that make sense to you? You've got to kind of sometimes say, what does it not mean? So I can understand what it does mean. It's not about me getting everything I want, but there is something about his name. His nature is his name. It's not just the word Jesus. It's his nature. It's his authority, and it's his righteousness. I don't have really great examples. I'm sorry. I'm just me, and I can only do my best. So I'm just going to use these. If, you went, if I went down to Best Buy, some of you are real uh, techies, and you just love Best Buy, uh, I don't go in there because I get completely confused and can't afford anything. No, poor me. But anyway, I, I'm not really interested in technology that much, you know. So, but I go in Best Buy and I go over there by the, you know, 85-inch surround sound TV, okay? And I say to the clerk, somebody has their name, you know, Melissa the clerk. Oh, Melissa, uh, I, I, in, in the name of you, Melissa, of Best Buy, please give me this 85-inch screen TV. She goes, Melissa might even like me, feel sorry for me, go, I, I've seen your TV, Rick, you really do need a big screen. But I'm sorry, I don't have the authority. You can call upon my name all day. You can ask me to do this for you, but I can't do it. But, you know, if I go in there and I have a card hand-signed by Richard M. Schultz, you know who that is? He's the founder of Best Buy. <laughs> and I go in his authority, in his name, and say, uh, Richard Schultz gave me this and said I'm to pick up one of these big TVs. It's mine. Because I've come in his name, in his authority, and in his righteousness, if you will, as the man of Best Buy. You know, should we pray with confidence? Absolutely. Should you pray with confidence? You should. Uh, this is not a discouragement. Okay, this doesn't mean what it says. It means what it says. And you and I should pray with confidence. But let me give you an example, another example. If, let's say you, Michael, let's say you, have this desire to build a youth center in Saratoga County where young people can really congregate and be helped and strengthened and because there's all kinds of troubles out there in the streets for kids, for youth. And, and so you find this rich guy who's pretty selfish, and he's known not to be caring about the community. <laughs> but you go to him to convince him to help support 
because you say, listen, I know you don't really care about youth. I know you really don't care about anybody but you. But this will really make you look good and will get you more business if you will, you'll have your name on the building because you'll give us a piece of the pie. Well, this guy or gal might, might not be caring or sincere, but they're shrewd. And they might say, you know what, I'll help you. Now, do you think when you go to God that that's the way to go to God? That he's somebody who doesn't care but has his own motives, and you're trying to find the button to push on God that would get him to be motivated to help you do what you think is right? Is that the purpose of prayer? i got to convince God who doesn't care really about my needs or what I care about and try to get him and motivate him or manipulate him to do what I want. If you pray that way, you pretty much are sure that you're not getting a lot of answered prayers. And also, just there's a freedom there. You don't have to convince God. What if we then take another example? we got a guy or a gal who's actually a kind, loving person. They don't know much about the youth in Saratoga County or Albany County or wherever you're going to do it. But, Michael, you go to them and you say, listen, I know you're a caring person. Here's a real need that exists, and I want to show it to you. And they go, wow, I see the need. And here's what I want to do to help make it happen. They go, wow, that's a great idea. I'm glad you brought it to me. I will help you. Is that how you go to God? Oh, God, I know you're good, but you don't really see what's going on. And I'm going to enlighten you <laughs> so that you see what's going on. And then I'm going to pray in Jesus' name that this will happen. And if I vibrate when I pray, then it'll really happen. And I don't mean a mock style, but what I'm saying is my style is no better than anybody else's. It means nothing. All this stylisticness doesn't mean anything. It's essence. It's solidity. I'm not convincing God to agree with me ever about anything. What would be a better picture? Michael goes to a guy that he knows is good or happens to meet this guy. He goes, I hear this guy has a great love for kids. And Michael gets there and he runs into this guy and says, you know, I have this burden to build a youth center and Sarah, a youth center before he can finish his sentence. And the guy goes over and pulls out a roll of a, of a print, a blueprint, of the youth center that he's been dreaming of building, but he needs a person to run it that will do exactly what he sees as the need. He goes, you mean like this? Yeah, I do. Well, that's, that's what I've been praying for, is to have the right person that I can turn loose with this. I'm going to write a check for the whole... In fact, we're going to build one in Saratoga. We're going to build one in Schenectady. We're going to build one in Albany. Let's start here, and we're going to move through. Are you with me? Do you see the difference? Michael went to him with a, something that was on his heart. Turns out what's on his heart is on the rich man's heart, <laughs> the wise man's heart. He's come into agreement with that guy who's been ready to do a great thing. Our prayers, you should pray, and I should pray with confidence. But if you want to see answered prayer, the, the thing to do is get on the same page as God. Does that make sense? And, and that means there's more pages to the story than just these few verses that tell you anything you ask in my name, in my name, in my nature, in my righteousness, in my authority. There are things I want to do through you, and I would not discourage anyone from praying with confidence and assurance. But I also remind us that you're not waving a magic wand. The Scripture does say in the Old Testament and applies to everything. It's very much a workable in the New Testament because it's what we see through Christ. The eyes of the Lord look to and fro, back and forth, 
over the face of the whole earth looking for someone that he can be strong for. Someone whose heart is turned towards him. Second Chronicles 16.9, actually. Second Chronicles, if you're a note taker or if this hits you hard, then go read it and consider it. 16.9, the eyes of the Lord look back and forth. I mean, I want God to be strong for me, don't you? I want to be strong for you? Is he strong for you? Sure he is. Is your heart turned towards him? See, because that's what Jesus is communicating in all of the scripture. So I really get excited about that. And listen, if we all got everything that we desired immediately that we thought of it and just prayed, we would have a disaster on our hands. You know, I know some of us would say, oh, man, just give me five minutes of those kind of prayers. <laughs> I could list off a lot of things in five minutes. My life would be beautiful. You think so, but you don't know so. You know, if we got everything we wanted uh, right away uh, just by praying, okay, Lord, do this, okay, Lord, do that, we would have disaster. Jesus is leaving, but he wants his disciples to know he's not leaving them alone. I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. This is huge. He wants them to know there's trouble to face. He's going to talk about it more. It's why we have to read and teach the whole story, not just pull things out and do sermons on them in and of themselves and make up stuff about them. We need to read the whole story. It doesn't mean I understand it perfectly. It doesn't mean that I can put it in a box for you. I'm learning. But I read the whole story, and it's why we do that, and it's why we also look at Jesus. We look at Jesus. When you want to see how things work out right, look at how it worked out in Jesus' life. Does that make sense to you, that he would kind of be in tune with the Father? That way, the way he would pray, the way he would act, the way he would function would be right? You look to Jesus, and you look at Jesus, the author and completer of our faith. See, James, John's brother, was martyred very early in the church. John lived a very long life, the longest of all the apostles, but he suffered much, was brutalized and persecuted, but they couldn't kill him. Peter got in prison, but then he slept peacefully before they executed him, and they didn't execute him. He got out, but then he went on, and he went through a lot of hard things too. And these three men, for example, they're just for example, they were there. They were there. They were where, Rick? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you. They were in the garden with Jesus, weren't they? They were not only in the garden with Jesus, but when Jesus leaves this place and you go to John 17 and you go to the story in the other Gospels of Jesus in the garden, like Luke 22, 23, you find that Peter, James, and John were pulled ahead away from the other disciples. You three come apart and pray with me a while. Now is my soul troubled. I'm distressed. Jesus was really distressed. He was going through a challenge, the challenge of all challenges. And he takes Peter and James and John a little further than the other guys away to pray with them. You know they fall asleep. It doesn't mean they were just lazy. It says they were sleeping in Luke for sorrow, meaning they were depressed and overwhelmed by what was going on, and they really didn't understand it. And when you, that, that's what makes you want to sleep sometimes. And they were kind of shutting down emotionally. However, I think they heard part of what he said. I know that he either reminded them later so they could write it down, or they actually heard some of it and then fell asleep. 
And that's what brought some of their sorrow because a lot of weird things are happening. It's tense. It's scary. Jesus has told them, I'm leaving. And, and, and Jesus prays. Jesus prays. Jesus, who is God's only begotten Son, they listened as God's only begotten Son, who came in the name of the Father, who did the Father's will. They hear him cry out and trust the Lord completely. Father, if it's your will, take this cup. He wasn't holding a paper cup or even a physical cup. (laughs) Take this cup. What cup's that? The cup of the wrath of God, the suffering that he was going to go through, the cup of redemption that he would celebrate at the Passover, pouring out his blood to save our lives and bring us forgiveness and cleansing. Father, if there's any way this cup could pass from me where I don't have to drink it, let it happen. See, he prayed like you pray. He said, Lord, if there's a way out of this, what I have to go through right here, let me not have to go through it. Jesus prayed that prayer. This might blow your mind, blow your circuits, steam might come out of your ears, but it's right there in several places. If there's any way this cup can pass from me, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will. Not my will. What? Jesus has a will that shouldn't happen? You'll have to think about it. We ought to think about it. Not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus is fully God, and he's fully man. God is never divided, and God doesn't break off pieces of himself. He doesn't come in portions. He's never divided or separated from himself. God cannot in any form be less than he is. Jesus is not less God. He's God, But his deity is veiled in humanity, and he he is man, and he is God, and it's not something any human can understand fully. It's why we worship a God who is bigger than we are, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's everything right and necessary about that. So Jesus is able to have human will of some sort to say, I don't want to go through this. He hasn't sinned, but he's asking the Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, there's a prayer of all prayers, isn't it? He loved the Father. He kept the Father's commandment. And he cries out, a sweating drops of blood. He's in great distress. This isn't like an act. Oh, what do I do in act three? Oh, now I pretend that I'm suffering. Because after all, I'm God. I can't really suffer. That's not true. Some people actually believe that. They're just acting out. No, this is Jesus suffering. Greatly, He knows he's going to become sin for us. He's going to take on all of mankind's wickedness and rebellion. He's going to sense it, feel it, live it, breathe it to the cross in a way that is we can't understand. He's, it's eternal what he's taking, our judgment. And he doesn't want to be separated from the Father, but he wants the Father's will more than anything. So this is helpful to me. So now we have... Jesus telling us about the Father, telling us about himself, the Son, and now he's going to tell us about the Holy Spirit. And we won't finish this conversation today. We'll just take this little part and begin to consider the work of the Holy Spirit, who he is to us that Jesus is going to talk so much about in the next couple of sessions and the next few um, chapters here. He says, if you love me, verse 15, keep my commandments. 
And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide or remain with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. You know, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's around you right now, but when you're born again, after I go to the cross, I'll breathe on you, disciples, in the upper room. I'll breathe on you. Say, receive the Spirit. I'll send the Spirit to enter people's lives and to make them one with me. They'll be born again, like Jesus told Nicodemus, and he was pointing to the future that would happen. The ability to be born of the Spirit of God. And he says, I'm going to pray to the Father for you, and he's going to give you what I pray. The Helper, the Holy Spirit. And I will not leave you, verse 18, as orphans. I will come to you. The Father is going to answer my prayer for you, the helper, the comforter, and that word means one who is the same or of the same nature as. It's just like me because he's one with me. Not just, listen, listen. The Holy Spirit. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to his disciples, in the book of Acts chapter 1, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be endued with power. And it's true, the Holy Spirit comes in power. But folks, the Holy Spirit isn't just power. It's not like, well, I'm kind of low on fuel. Give me some of that Holy Spirit gasoline and let me fill it up. And this whole concept of it just being power, it is, he is power. There's no question of that because he is God. Is God powerful? Is the Holy Spirit God? Is God divided? Can he ever in any way, in any form, be less than he is? He cannot be less than he is ever, anywhere, anytime, place. So, of course, he's power. And we do celebrate his power. I'm not mocking that. But I do notice that it, people may get, they get hung up on the power, the power like it's it. It is some energy bar or, you know, pill you take. But it's not it, it's he. And he is a person, personality. He is a presence through his personality. His personality meaning will, intellect, emotion. It's God, the Spirit. You know, I'm going to have difficulty here because I'm not as sharp as every tack is or or the sharpest uh, knife in the drawer. Um, uh, I'm going to have trouble here because you're not really either. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to have trouble because no human can put full weight to what's being said here. Okay, so I'm comfortable. But you know, if you sometimes you ever had your eyes closed and somebody that you love, not because they're the only person in the house, but there's a people you love around and somebody comes up and puts their arms around you, you can feel them and their body on, t- hugging you from behind and just, but you can't see them because your eyes are closed, but you know who it is. You can tell. Is that true? Does that ha- there are people, I mean, different people hug you without you seeing them. You can feel who that is. Forgive me for that weak example, but it's like the Holy Spirit's going to come and his arms are holding you. I will not leave you as orphans. And that word is perfect. Sometimes translated comfortless, but the word is orphanus, which is where we get the word orphan. I'm not going to leave you as alone, bereft of your father, of a teacher, of a guide, of a guardian, of the one who loves you. Think about it. Jesus has been telling these guys, I'm leaving. Did I mention that earlier? Quite a few times. I'm leaving, I'm leaving, 
I'm leaving. You're not going to see me like this anymore. It's going to change. But I'm not leaving you alone. He's going to say more about this, and you know that. Because I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit is coming. And I'm coming in the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be with you. You're going to feel, and they were going to feel very, very alone. Listen, I have never had a time in my life, and I've been, because I've been very fortunate, some of you have not had what I've had, and some of you have had it. I've never had a time in my life where I didn't have somebody around me that really loved me. I've always had somebody somewhere around that loved me. Okay? I've been fortunate. Because I know some people have been through times in their life where they're really... Nobody who really loves them is really around scooping them up or being there for them. Now, I haven't been in that spot. Okay? But I have felt alone. There have been times where I, when my dad died when I was 15, I had family that loved me around. Some of them put pressure on me to become some superman (laughs) because I was the last hope of my family. They loved me, but they were trying to motivate me to make something of myself because now, you know, the way the family had disintegrated, etc. Others were just so confused themselves. They were all around me and they loved me, but, but I felt very alone. I've, I, I've had other times where I just felt alone. It's not because my wife hasn't been there for me or anybody else in my life. It's because sometimes, is this true? Have you ever felt alone? Some of you don't have to blink about that. Some of you, you're really young, you might have to, but there's a, there is an issue in life where humans, no matter how much you're surrounded and even cared about, you feel alone. And most of you, I don't have to explain it any further because you've been there. And some of you, you'll experience it. Don't freak out. I'm telling you so you'll know when it happens, you're not alone. You're not alone. You feel alone. But you're not alone. And so even people with all the strong family, what difference it makes to know with certainty. And you know, it's been a long time since I felt that kind of alone because of what Jesus said and what the Holy Spirit has done. And I have to choose to believe him and enter into it. But I always know it's available to me to get to him because he's already here. I don't have a major battle believing that. I don't always act on it. But you may still be in that moment where you feel alone. And this verse, just reading it, you go, well, I've read that, but I don't feel that. God wants to do more than just have you sense his arms around you. He wants you to believe and find certainty by experience. God is my Father. He is with me. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be in me. And Peter and James and John, listen, here's one of your struggles that you might go through. Peter and James and John are men who lived very difficult, tough lives. Okay? Follow the lives of the disciples. Very early on after, it wasn't like they just floated in a party. Hey, you know, we're disciples, we're apostles, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, everything's groovy. For those who, you'll have to, you know, Wikipedia that word. Um, But, uh, you know, everything is wonderful. They lived hard, difficult, challenging lives. One of them died early, quickly. 
Both of the other two suffered long, but they heard Jesus' words, they saw his work, and they experienced the power of his Holy Spirit. They had, they believed in what he said. They had tough lives, but they were not scandalized by their troubles. I'm going to explain that. 